Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which looks at every single Prime Minister in Canadian history and is currently looking at every single opposition leader who never became Prime Minister, and it releases every single Friday. On Sunday, I have Canada's Great War, which looks at the First World War and Canada's involvement in it. And on Thursday, I have Coast to Coast, which looks at the building of the Transcontinental Railway. All are available on all podcast platforms. I do all of these podcasts full-time, and it's a lot of work. I do the writing, the research, everything. So any donations and support is greatly appreciated and helps keep all of it going. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Today I'm looking at the community of LaSalle, Ontario. It's a really cool community located right near Windsor and it has a really fascinating history. So let's get right to it. The Indigenous. Prior to the arrival of Europeans, the location that would be LaSalle was inhabited by the Indigenous for centuries. Thanks to its location next to the river and near the Great Lakes, it was a popular spot to camp, meet, and hunt. The land was primarily inhabited by the Anishinaabe, the Iroquois, the Miami, and the Mississauga. The indigenous of the area had a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, relying on animals and fish for their food and clothing. The women of the local tribes were involved in the governing of the tribes, as well as in the healing and spiritual aspects. Due to the location along the river, the indigenous of the area began to interact with Europeans as early as the 1600s, which would bring a fundamental change to their way of life forever. The majority of land that was once home to the indigenous is covered by the McKee Purchase of 1790. LaSalle himself. So, the town was named for, and I will do my best to pronounce this, my French is getting better as I learn it, René Robert Cavalier Sur de LaSalle. But who was he? He was born on November 22, 1643 in France, and he would travel as a colonist to North America and arrive in New France in 1666. Granted land on the western end of the island of Montreal, which became known as Lachine, he would begin to learn from the indigenous and started to explore parts of North America. In 1682, he would canoe the lower Mississippi River from the mouth of the Illinois River to the Gulf of Mexico, and he would claim the Mississippi River Basin for France who would keep control of it for about the next 150 years until the Louisiana Purchase. For his explorations in Lake Erie and Lake Huron, he would build a ship called the Le Griffel, which I will talk about in the next section. La Salle would die at the age of 43 near present-day Huntsville on March 19, 1687. After becoming lost for upwards of two years, his men mutinied and he was slain by a follower, who himself was shot and killed to avenge the death of La Salle. Le Griffin, or Le Griffon. 
When you go to La Salle, you will notice that there's a recreation of a ship in the roundabout of Todd Lane and Malden Road. The ship is Le Griffin or Le Griffon, depending on how you pronounce it. That's the one I spoke of earlier. The ship was constructed in the Niagara River and it was armed with seven cannons, making it the largest vessel in the Great Lakes at the time. It would take its maiden voyage with La Salle on August 7, 1679, and a crew of 32. They would sail through the Great Lakes in waters that only canoes had been in previously. On September 18th, La Salle disembarked near where Green Bay is today. The ship would disembark with six crew members and a load of furs, and it was never seen again. It's not known what happened to the ship, and the wreck has never been found. Various sites have been theorized to be the final resting place of the ship, but so far, nothing has been confirmed. Using a laser, members of Hexagon Manufacturing Intelligence are scanning the wooden beam believed to be from Le Griffin. This laser tracker then sends an image of where they're scanning to a computer, creating a 3D model of it. So the idea will be to, in the end, have a 3D model that we can use for simulation purposes to really confirm if the measurements and everything would match something that would go into a ship, more precisely the Griffin ship. The French vessel arguably sank in the waters of Lake Michigan centuries ago, and since the age of 13, it's been Steve Leibert's mission to find it. For the past decade, Leibert's team has made several Lake Michigan dives on the shipwreck they believe to be the French vessel. It's a lifelong dream that we always wanted to do. It's the most sought-after ship, probably in one of the most sought-after in the whole world, if not the number one in the Great Lakes. Now that he believes he has, he's working on proving that this is in fact a piece of Le Griffin through markings on the wood. And that's where Hexagon comes in. Well, a lot of the stuff we do is a lot of industrial stuff. We measure airplanes, cars, and things like that. So this is the t first time like we've had a chance to scan something historical that might actually have a meaning. It's really important, I think, in history. You know, it's great going back so many centuries and finding you know, history, a treasure, you know. And they're doing it all for free. Well, there's obviously an equipment cost. Um, right now we are pro bono. We're just out here for the sake of history to help out. Because after all those years, going fishing for yeah, for 30 years, not even getting a nibble, and then all of a sudden you end up, you know, you bring up a shark and, and there it is right in front of your face. In Otsego County, Gabriella Pagan, 7 in 4 News. To honor the ship and the namesake of the community, Mayor Ken Antea in 2018 broke a bottle of champagne on the bow of the ship to officially christen it. Father Louis Hennepin, who dressed in a hooded brown-gray robe, also gave the original blessing on the ship. Today, it serves as a notable landmark within the community. The founding of the community. The oldest French community in southwestern Ontario and the oldest continually inhabited European settlement in Canada west of the Quebec border, La Salle has plenty of history. A mission was established in the area in the town of Sandwich and La Salle would be identified as part of Upper Canada in 1792. Now known as Old Sandwich Town, it was one of the oldest settlements in Ontario and is now part of Windsor today. In 1749, Petit Co or Little Bank, was on the spot where La Salle would eventually be, and at the time the economy of the village was radishes, which were exported to the United States. In 1924, this community had 800 people and was incorporated as the town of La Salle. Throughout the 1920s, the community was famous for being the rum-running capital of Canada, thanks to its close proximity to the United States during the Prohibition era. It was said the Chicago mobsters Al Capone and Frank Parker 
would come to the community to drink alcohol and boost their bank accounts with illegal booze smuggled out. By the 1950s, the town of LaSalle existed as its own community. Unfortunately, that community hit hard times and in 1959, it amalgamated into the township of Sandwich West after a referendum that barely passed. The mayor at the time, Herbert Runstedler, was very opposed to it. Due to this, LaSalle became known locally as the town that chose to die. That was the arrangement until Windsor annexed part of the community as I mentioned previously. The town of Sandwich West would continue on despite seeing its population fall from 33,000 to 6,000. None of future LaSalle was taken in the annexation. By the 1980s, there was huge growth in Sandwich West with 400 homes being built on an annual basis. Within a 10-year period, the community's population had increased to 25,000. As a result of this, Reeve Vince Marcotte wanted the township to have its own identity and an application was put forward to create a town again. It was not set in stone that the community would be called LaSalle again either, and out of 100 names, two emerged as the front runners, LaSalle and Trillium. The population of the future town voted overwhelmingly in favor of LaSalle. On June 1, 1991, the town of LaSalle was incorporated. Upon its creation, LaSalle automatically became the largest town in Essex County. The creation of the town was a big deal, and on June 1, 1991, 1,000 residents came out to the environmental building to celebrate. In the process, they consumed 2,500 hot dogs, 2,500 hamburgers, 4,000 bags of chips, and 4,000 cups of pop, all provided for free. The new town crest would feature Le Griffin, a duck to symbolize the environment, a tractor for the agricultural heritage, and two clasped hands. The clasped hands were actually designed by Neil Jobin, a 12-year-old boy in the community, and the clasped hands symbolize unity. Today, LaSalle has a population of over 33,000 people. The Battle of Windsor Located in the Detroit River, right across from LaSalle, is Fighting Island. Originally populated by the indigenous people, the name comes from the many indigenous artifacts that were found on the island in 1810, which those who found the artifacts believed was a location of intense fighting. It was first settled by the French in the 18th century as it began to move through the area and settlers began to arrive. It was on this island that the Battle of Windsor would occur from February 24th to February 25th, 1838. You may not have heard of this battle, but it comes about because of the 1837 and 1838 rebellions that gripped Upper and Lower Canada and helped usher in Confederation three decades later. I actually did an episode on these rebellions, so I encourage you to check it out on my website. Men on both sides of the border, calling themselves Patriots, formed in 1837 with the intention of seizing southern Ontario between Detroit and the Niagara Rivers. With the United States and Canada working together, they decided to attack the 400 patriots who were on the island. The U.S. would capture the men if they fled back into America, while Canada and Britain would attack on the island and pursue them to the United States. The Canadians and British attacked on February 25th, crossing the ice to attack, and the battle was an overwhelming success for the Canadians. With 300 Canadian militia and British regulars against the 400 patriots, only 8 Canadians died. As for the Patriots, 25 were killed and 65 were captured. The Battle of Windsor is the last military action of the 1837-38 rebellions and today a plaque commemorates its role in Ontario's heritage. 
1952 Flood Disasters have a way of reshaping a community and changing it forever. One of the worst disasters to happen in La Salle was the flood that hit the community in 1952. It was on March 13, 1952 that the water of the Detroit River rose 20 centimeters in just 24 hours to hit a new high water mark. Many residents were worried as the water began to rise, and Mayor Herbert Rudstedler stated that he would be in contact with the ministers of the Roman Catholic and Protestant Church to appeal for help if rising waters forced an evacuation. The mayor would send a telegram to Paul Martin Sr., the local member of Parliament, stating, quote, Situation overnight has become critical. Water over banks in some places already. Require engineers immediately. End quote. 500 sandbags were ordered and the army was requested in case the water level became worse. The Govero family reported the water had risen to four inches below their home and before long they were getting ready to evacuate their home with the help of Constable Vincent Bergeron. The father of the family placed the furniture on blocks and left the home with his family. The baby was carried through the freezing waters to a section of the road that was above the water, and the father would say after, quote, Even if the water goes down slightly, I can't move a baby back into the house as damp as it is now. End quote. Typically, the water would drain rapidly, but due to swollen waters of Lake St. Clair, which blocked the exits of the village drainage ditches, these ditches overflowed their banks, flooded the residential districts, and local farmland. By March 14th, they would drop below the record high level, and on March 5th, Don Brown, an MP of the area as well, promised to place the flood problem of the Windsor area before the House of Commons. The Tea Party If you were a fan of Canadian music through the 1990s, then chances are you were a fan of the Tea Party one of Canada's top bands from the 1990s to the 2000s. While the Tea Party would get its start in Toronto, its members Jeff Burroughs, Stuart Chatwood, and Jeff Martin all grew up in LaSalle. Forming after a marathon jam session in Toronto, the three had played together for years in different bands while they were growing up in the LaSalle area. The name of the band comes from the hash sessions of famous beat generation poets like Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac. Over the course of their career, which took off in 1996, they have sold 2 million albums worldwide, had 4 double platinum albums, 1 platinum album, and 4 gold albums in Canada. During that same period, they were the 35th best-selling Canadian artist in Canada. They've also been nominated for 22 Much Music Video Awards and several Juno Awards. In 1996, the Tea Party was the first Canadian band to play the main stage at Lollapalooza, and would tour the world throughout the 1990s and into the 2000s. The 1921 Bank Robbery In 1921, Ontario was deep in its Prohibition years, which began in 1916 and would continue until 1927. During that time, residents across the province found ways to get alcohol, and some people began to make a lot of money from it. In La Salle, there were several people who made a lot of money making alcohol in the relatively isolated location of the time, which would then be distributed throughout the province. Along Front Road, there were several taverns, and the bootleggers would gamble all night with their ill-gotten gains. Of course, all that money also meant there were people who wanted it, and that brings us to the July 20th, 1921 robbery. It was noon on that day when a green Cadillac pulled up in front of the Merchant's Bank, 
and five men proceeded to walk towards the bank. Along the way, they robbed a man walking by of $70, which is worth nearly $1,000 today. They then walked into the bank and ordered everyone onto the ground. Vital Benoit, who owned the local hotel and was the only customer in the bank, made a move for the doors as he had $6,000 in his hand, which would be $82,000 today. He was ordered by the robbers to stop, but he kept walking towards the door. One robber then shot at him, hitting him in the leg, but only causing a flesh wound. The robbers then stole money from the teller's cages and the vault, taking $16,000 in total in the process. That take would be $220,000 today. As they left the bank and walked to their car, they threw a wad of cash at the man they had robbed, who was now sitting in his car. At this point, several bystanders tried to stop the robbers and one gave chase in his car with three others. He kept the car in sight until they reached Kennard Bridge and the tires of his car were shot out. The Windsor Star would report of the slow response by police, quote, News of the robbery came as a great surprise at police headquarters, but was viewed with general expression that the bank is an ideal mark for bank robbers, end quote. Soon enough, though, police had jumped into their vehicle and given chase, but the robbers blew out a cylinder in a police car, forcing them to stop. It would take several weeks before four Windsor men were arrested for their crime. The 1958 Tornado Tornadoes are not an unusual thing for LaSalle, and one would hit on June 26, 1958. Described by the Windsor Star as, quote, a freakish, bouncing, and strangely silent tornado ripped its way through LaSalle, end quote. The tornado tore through the area, destroying greenhouses, throwing a house off its foundation, and dropping a huge amount of rain on the area. The newspaper would report, quote, Terrified residents dove into ditches or rushed into basements to escape the force of the twister, which eventually broke into three separate funnels dancing from 500 to 5,000 feet off the ground, end quote. In all, damages were estimated to be $100,000 or nearly $1 million today. The Strawberry Festival If you decide to go to La Salle, then you need to go during the annual Strawberry Festival, which typically happens during the first weekend of June. The origins of the festival date back to 1988, running from May 28th to 29th, when the first ever festival was held, bringing out hundreds of locals for what would eventually become this annual event. In that first event, 520 pints of strawberries were cleaned, cut and devoured, aided with 365 liters of vanilla ice cream. The first event was sponsored by the Sandwich West Township and the LaSalle Business Improvement Association and included a downtown parade, strawberry jam, jelly and pie eating contests, local arts and crafts, and even a fishing derby. The chairman of the event, Marge Gignac, stated at the time, quote, What started out as a small celebration has snowballed and blossomed into a full festival. The whole community has contributed to what has become a team effort. End quote. The festival even had its own mascot, Mr. Strawberry. Of course, calling it the first annual Strawberry Festival may not be 100% accurate as small strawberry festivals were held for decades in the community, often through churches, community organizations, or just various houses coming together. I'm cutting the strawberries. Um, I'm bringing the strawberry um, ends to um, the garbage. I, I am on my third, pal my third uh, pallet. 
like to to help out in the community and um, love to see the um, every year I come and I'm always amazed at the uh, number of people that come out for this fun event. Uh, we're just cutting strawberries to help out with the community. I wanted to come because uh, it's a really nice opportunity to come and help with the Strawberry Fest and we've always been coming and it's always a great time. I would tell them that you should try the strawberry ice cream because the ice cream with the strawberries on top is the best. Have a fun and safe time at the Strawberry Fest. While the event has lately been virtual due to the COVID-19 pandemic, it will be back in full force soon. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at LaSalle, Ontario. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.